Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the State of Play podcast, episode 26. Martino Puccio back here with you guys. Matt Santangelo stepping in this week alongside me. Rocco Fasano is our guest this week. Um, Rocco is all over the place uh, in terms of calcio, uh, Italian football world. Dabbles in the MLS as well from Canada, so I know he's. I've seen him uh, covering some Toronto stuff. But guys, how you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Um, it's it's great to be back on after last week's episode of being uh, missing. I was doing something for these football times, which of course in collaboration with the AC Milan magazine drop, which I'm delighted to be featured in. But um, yeah, it's great to come back and obviously have uh, Rocco, a very special guest, of course, someone I'm very familiar with, I've known for quite a while dating back to our earlier days with time football daily um so rocco it's a pleasure to have you on how you doing thank you so much guys um really honored to be here uh be on for, for the first time getting my first cap with uh state of play podcast and you know i hear you guys do really really well and uh put on high quality content so i'm looking to enrich that with uh, some of my humble uh 30-year knowledge <laughs> yeah i mean um we're a bit on the younger side, obviously, so we're in our twenties. So always good, always good to have some uh, knowledge on. Um, yeah, so look, we came back from international break, and it really came back with a bang, right? So we're gonna the Premier League, Mauricio Pochettino. You heard the whispers and some of the rumors throughout the past couple weeks or so. They got off to a really rocky start. They're low in the standings in the Premier League. They sack him and then bring in Jose Mourinho. Matt, I'll give this to you first. What do you think of this situation? Um, first, start off with the decision to sack Poch and then bringing in Mourinho. Oh, I've always been a fan of Pochettino as a manager. I think you know over the course of his career or tenure uh, with Tottenham, I think he's done a sensational job. Uh, given the fact that the the spending pattern for spending uh has really hasn't been on the same course or same trajectory as the likes of Manchester City, Manchester United, Liverpool and you know so Chelsea even as well. So I think the fact that he's been able to um kind of stay in the thick of things, so finish third, finish second, kind of be in some title races as well. Of course not, not winning a title, but uh, more or less one you know making Tottenham one of the top clubs in England and, and really a real threat to win a title at the very least. And obviously they had the uh, the Champions League the, uh, final appearance last year uh, um, against Liverpool, which they lost. But it just it's crazy to think how a manager who um, has been the, uh, the model of consistency for Tottenham, um, you know, and really six months, five, six months removed from a Champions League final to losing his job. And I think that's really what's it's, it's kind of more or less what the expectations are of coaching in the Premier League, right? You you know, you like the glitz and glamour, you like the big paycheck, you like um, the wealth of funds um, accessible to you to assemble a squad that you want, but conversely, it always seems as though the leashes are much shorter in the Premier League because the stakes are that much higher. Um, for me, I think, you know, looking at this entire situation, Pochettino will not be on the uh, empl- uh, unemployment line very long, I think. He would probably be a great fit for uh, some big clubs in Italy. I don't know, as a Milan fan, uh, I would love to see a guy like Pochettino coach Milan. I don't think it's going to happen, but it's just, uh, it's, it's just a pipe dream, of course. But I think at the same time, you look around the uh, English landscape and which opportunities would uh, arise for him. And I can name maybe one or two uh, off the top of my head, specifically, obviously, Manchester United. 
um, who have their own situation. It's very difficult with Ole. He's kind of week to week. You really don't know how much longer he's going to be there. And then you look at our Arsenal, which are a dumpster fire at this point. Unai Emery, it seems not um, uh, a matter of if, it's more of when uh, with his status as the coach. So those are two openings for him. But you know, to bring in Jose Mourinho... Uh, that quickly, um, it was pretty shocking. I think it definitely took over social media at that point last week. And of course, they got the victory in his first game in charge, three two over West Ham, I believe. So overall, I think Mourinho's you know he's t- he's the type of manager. If you look you know, historically, um, and I know Rocco would be able to speak on this too as well, is a manager that you know he's not the guy that's going to come into a squad that's maybe slim and 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 improve a lot of players. He's a guy that will come into a a, a role with a lot of good quality players and, you know, with a provide if he gets at the proper market, assemble a team that can compete for a title or win something. And I think, you know, over over the long stretch of his career at Chelsea, Real Madrid, um, even Inter with that treble winning season, I think he's obviously more than more than enough deserving of an opportunity to coach at Tottenham. But I think this is a difficult one because of um, you know, like obviously the time he's taking over during the season, he's not taking over um, at, at, in a position where he has a clean slate, he has the entire summer to assess things and to ultimately assemble his squad the way he wants. He's stepping into a situation which is very dire. Obviously, Tottenham, as you mentioned, are low on the table, and they're pretty much in that position where they're just trying to you know, creep up, see if they can finish maybe in a Europa League spot, maybe if things kind of collapse with the top four or some of the clubs in that chase there, maybe he can jump in with a late, a late chase. But I think more or less when you hire a guy like Jose Mourinho midway to the season, I don't think you know, it's more of a six-month thing with him. He's going to be the manager that's going to be obviously going to finish the season, get that summer to, again, get the money to come in from Daniel Levy to really build the squad that he wants for him. Because I think if you look at Tottenham as a club, when you look at some of the clubs even around um, world football, right, I think that at some point in time that you have to be a little bit more ambitious with the project, take a little bit more risks. And I think without risks, there's really not much reward. And I think that's a, a true thing with Tottenham, right? Over the years, they haven't spent much for Pochettino, despite the fact that he's been able to make the most of it and finish fairly in fairly good positions with them. But the summer they actually do spend and finally reward him for getting to that Champions League final, he all of a sudden just kind of completely collapses and there's a, an utter disconnect um, about what's going on with that club. So I just always find it fascinating how, again, the leash tends to be short on a, on a year-to-year basis. But I'm very excited to at least see how this unfolds with Tottenham because obviously Jose Mourinho is... He's box office, he's got the sound bites, he's got the bizarre pressers and all the comments he makes in the media. So I'm very excited to see how this unfolds. And of course, um, we'll, we'll have to wait and see what happens with Pochettino because the demand is definitely there for him. He's, he's a fantastic manager. Hey, uh, by the way, um, Matt, I just, I just wonder what happened there with, uh, with Pochettino because I'm not sure if you recall, but last year, right um, before the Champions League final, they did ask him about his future. And he said, well, you know, I, if I lose, I might go. And if I win, I might go just the same. And then and he stayed. <laughs> he lost and he stayed. Well, and I wonder if something happened in the dressing room there. Well, the thing with Pochettino, too, is fascinating, is that when he's made that comment, everyone was like, wow, like that's, is this really the right time to make that comment? And you're pretty much at the mm-hmm. peak of your career, at least at the peak of mm-hmm. your your uh, your." your job, if you will, you're in a Champions League final, you're on the brink of you know, achieving what you want to achieve, essentially, and you're now you're kind of hinting at maybe leaving. But I think there was a lot of people who really, you know, at the beginning of the season, obviously, to the point where he got sacked, that were saying, well, maybe it was, it was, it was, 
he was a, not a dead man walking, but in terms of looking at the the, the scope and the, and the the grand scheme of things of of his his career as coach uh, at Tottenham, you know, it, football cyclical. And I think there were there were seasons where he did really really well with them. Um, he got them to really good heights, and he kind of put them more or less in that upper echelon, that that first tier of clubs in England. But at the same time, I think there was a lot of people saying that that was the end of that cycle. When they didn't win the Champions League final, that was the end of that cycle. And maybe, and a lot of people were saying that maybe he should have just, to your point, just left. Hey, look, I got you to a Champions League final. Uh, this is the way I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave a, a, a manager who who really got us really far. And I'm happy the way it ended. Now he leaves on a sour note, and you know, it's kind of you don't you know you, that's. I think there's a lot of a lot of managers and a lot of players specifically um, at this point in time. Where you know they're, they're going to start looking at situations like this, and they're going to say, you know, I want to control the narrative, I want to control my legacy, and I want to leave on top. And I think you know Pochettino, but maybe it's tough for me to say after the fact because obviously they're in a bad position. But at the same time, I think you look at how long he was there at Tottenham. I don't think he could have taken them much further um, than he did last year. But look, the, the window is going to be open for him to go back to Spain as well. I know he had, he had ties to Espanol. Um, a lot of people were saying that he's a Real Madrid candidate. It's a Don sacked. So again, he's going to have a lot of suitors. I think that the fact that he was able to take Tottenham so far for several years, despite not spending um, nearly as much uh, as the Cities, as the Chelsea's, as the Liverpool's, it speaks volumes to what type of manager he is and how he can really develop players into becoming world class. So uh, I'm looking forward to see what his next step is because I think again he's a, he's a very class manager. An aspect that can't be. Uh, underrated um, or, or overlooked is the fact that in, when a lot of coaches leave is the fact that a lot of them uh, tend to stay uh, under contract with said club and that in order to release themselves they actually it means that they have to walk away from virtually making making money without doing without actually being employed let's say so that's that's kind of going to be that might be a barrier for him uh, a lot of co- it, it takes it takes a lot of personality let's say to to walk away from money in order to uh, you know keep up one's career you know and we have a lot uh, quite a few coaches uh, that are around right now that are jobless but they're still club contracted like uh, Allegri for example like um, Spalletti if I'm not mistaken so there are that's something else to to kind of keep your eye on but I'm sure as you said if uh, uh, the likes of Real Madrid kind comes uh, knocking. I'm sure Pochettino will be uh, more than happy to to overlook, um, you know, making money while while sitting at home with his feet up on the table, um, and in, in favor of uh, perhaps even a bigger salary uh, plus the spotlight under uh, at and uh, Real Madrid. Madrid. Yeah, it's really going to be interesting to see where Pochettino goes. Um, I, I don't know. I think I think it's going to be interesting because I think only so many teams can really afford him in the first place so i think he could cross out a lot of teams um like for instance i saw i saw someone bring up napoli as not i don't think that's in the cards i don't see that happening <clears throat> especially if they sack ancelotti i i just don't see how de Laurentiis is going to want to pay him for what he's going to be asking so i think it's highly doubtful that he would even be coming to Italy at this point. I don't. The two clubs that could afford a manager of his price and caliber just brought in a manager this summer. So, mm-hmm. and and we I know how. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I just I don't see that happening. Um, so an interesting game that has two two you know 
managers that I think have, uh, you know, they always leave a, a mark this year because Pep Guardiola is just, you know, he's considered the greatest coach of this decade. I, I guess you could um, say. I mean, that's how a lot of people view him. And Frank Lampard's mm-hmm. a first-time coach, and I think he's absolutely been um, the most impressive coach in the Premier League this season. Um, but City won this one. I don't know if either of you caught this game. But, uh, you know, I, I was expecting kind of a high-scoring match. I'm not really surprised that there was three goals involved in this. We know how City has the injury crisis at the back. Chelsea isn't, you know, that's probably the weak link in their squad at the moment uh, with their center-back pairing. But uh, did either of you catch this? Uh, I caught a little, bit, a little glimpse of it, and I was obviously following a lot of, a lot of it on Twitter. Um, so I know there's going to be a lot of people that probably are listening and saying maybe he's off on this or he's off on that. But I'm just going to speak on my opinion or thoughts of these two clubs at the moment. Um, after this game, of course, in the position which they are in uh, in the table, I think starting with Manchester City, um, look, it feels as though it's probably going to be Liverpool's year, right? I think there was point in times where last year where a match like this against Chelsea, a team that is playing really well, um, as you alluded to, uh, Martino under Frank Lampard, a lot of players are elevating their game they're they're punching above their weight despite having that transfer ban um curly intact uh tommy abraham christian pulisic um mason mount uh you know some of their central defenders are doing really well you have uh, emerson as playing as a left back um, obviously he was a guy who's brought in under conte he's kind of coming to life and he's going to probably make the the uh, euro roster for italy which i know we'll talk about later on in the show overall i think chelsea are in, in a really good position um, especially with the trans- January transfer window kind of around the corner where they can really uh, assess things, maybe give Frank Lampard um, a couple pieces here and there that he can ultimately see this thing out, finish in their objective of a top four finish, and you'll ultimately have a, put a good bow on his first season in charge. Of course, things can change. Stranger things have happened. We've seen teams have really good first halves and then nosedive in the second, and really things start to fall apart. But overall, I think Chelsea... See, even a defeat like this that Manchester City, a juggernaut um, under Pep Guardiola, I think Chelsea had to feel good about their position in, this, in, the, in the table and overall how things are going under Frank Lampard in year one. As for City, you know, again, I, I know I talked about it briefly. It feels as though it's Liverpool's year. Um, you know, they got a really good position, a really good comfy cushion at the top of the table at first. And this is the really uh, the one trophy that they've been yearning for for so many years now, right? Obviously, they got back to back Champions League final finishes. They won last year, of course, um, over Tottenham. But I think if you look at Liverpool, it's one of those years where it just feels like it belongs to them. They got a week, a win on the weekend, and although they really weren't playing as sharp as probably Klopp would have liked. At the same time, City are still uh, a team that you can't really sleep on because, again, stranger things have happened. We know how packed these schedules can be and how difficult it can be to navigate a long season like the one that England has, obviously, is probably the longest one in the top five leagues, if I'm correct, guys. Uh, with all the cup competitions they have, obviously, if you're in a European uh, competition, and of course you have the Premier League to worry about as well. So, again, uh, big, big victory for City, no doubt. Um, they would have obviously loved to have compounded that with a defeat or at least a draw or dropped points of some sort by Liverpool. Um, that did not happen, so Liverpool maintained their good cushion at the top of the table. But overall, I think you can really start to um, assess the table and really ultimately see what it looks like at this point in time. And I feel comfortable in putting my name to this is that there's really going to be three. There's really going to be one spot, one Champions League spot to essentially fight over. I feel comfortable saying that Liverpool, City, and Chelsea are going to be three teams that make the top four. 
and it could be a dogfight for fourth. I, I'm seeing, you know, Sheffield United kind of creep into conversation. Obviously, we know Arsenal are, are uh, in a difficult spot, as are Manchester United. So it could be one of those cases where um, in previous years, Leicester, you know, maybe Serie A, where it's, you know, you don't know, it's going to be one, two, and then everyone else is going to be a toss-up. But, uh, you know, it looks like there could be some quite a bit of competition for that fourth spot in England. I think that's something to keep an eye on as we, we, we get through the rest of the season. But, um, yeah, there's some very key fixtures and key things happen in England. And uh, I think we did a good job of at least kind of wrapping things up and keeping it nice and condensed for us. Yeah. Um, so we're going to move over to Spain. Uh, La Liga. We talked about this a little bit Um Last episode with Pet and Mo, um, and I think we touched touched on it with Zach as well. Uh, Real Madrid have really gotten into form as of late. I personally like them to win the title at this point because I I don't think I've seen a Barcelona this unimpressive, this like this long throughout a season. I I really when I watch them play, they nothing about them really impresses me whatsoever and aside from individual moments of brilliance from Messi I mean like right now Real Madrid and the way Zidane has them playing and more importantly in Hazard rounding into form and he recently admitted too I don't know if you guys caught the quote he was talking about uh yeah I, I did gain a little bit of weight over the summer it wasn't uh I can't hide that uh, even though he literally couldn't hide it because he couldn't fit into his jersey I mean at this point, do you think he's almost? Do you think he's a hundred percent back at this point for Real Madrid? Because I, I don't think it could have happened at a more perfect time. I think Eden Hazard is. Um, if you look at his performances recently, I think Eden Hazard's not quite at that that peak that we saw with him at Chelsea. But I think he's getting really, really close to that. And I think it, it was inevitable, right? I think. You know, we, we, we all criticized him, and, and there was a lot of uh, you know unflattering photos of him early on um, in the season. Um, at Real Madrid, he came in a little bit heavier. He wasn't as sharp. He wasn't as uh, elusive, quick on the ball as we were accustomed to seeing at his years at Chelsea. And, of course, even before then at Lille as a really young prospect, um, and, of course, for Belgium as well. But I think you're starting to see that, you know, the dream move that he always wanted, he's starting to uh, make good on and he's starting to really put it all and get and put it all together at the right time for Real Madrid as that, that big Galactico signing they made. Um, and it, it, I've always found it interesting to watch, um, you know, things happening at Real Madrid post Ronaldo, right? Because there was a lot of questions about, well, is it going to be Bale? Is he going to be the next guy in, in charge or the next big player to kind of take Real Madrid into the, to the next handful of years? Um, is it Benzema? Does he still have it? Um, and I think you look at a lot of players in that squad and you look at Real Madrid as a club collectively and you look at the fact that they still have um, those star players in certain positions where even if they, they're not playing their best football, because early on in the season they really weren't, now that you look at them you're saying but they still have those guys like a Hazard, like a Cruz, like a Modric, um, you know, Ramos to lead the back, Rafael Varane. Um, just to name a few players, obviously Benzema, who who really regained his form last year after he, the year prior, I think only had seven, eight, nine goals, if I'm correct, in the league. You still look at Real Madrid as a juggernaut and a team in European competition that can't be overlooked, despite not having, again, Ronaldo, who carried them and has been able to carry them in, in previous years. But getting back to Hazard real quick, I think it's really important that at this point in time of the season, when you start kind of getting into that position in the Champions League, where obviously Real Madrid are, are uh, the most uh, have the most trophies, um, you know, historically, 
that's where you want to see a guy like Hazard hit his prime form and get his enter his peak condition, peak fitness, and that's what they paid him for. That's what they paid the big money to get him for is for those competitions. And with the knockout stages kind of creeping around the corner soon in the next what, month or two, I think you really have to start to look at players like Hazard to carry them in, in delicate moments and delicate situations where they don't maybe have it, but you can kind of you you can dish the ball out to Hazard. You know when you get he gets on the ball, he is that guy who can make things happen and he can supply Benzema and the game can go through him. So it's it's it is going to be exciting to see how much further he can take his game at at, at Real Madrid since the move. But uh, credit to him for turning things around. It's never easy to play for a big club like Real Madrid, especially when it's the dream club um, you've always wanted to play for. And I think he's really starting to turn around. I think this weekend he had, I think, 10 or 11 uh, successful dribbles according to who scored. And he just had a really well-rounded performance for Real Madrid in the win. So, uh, yeah, Hazard is, is, is really in, in, in a good position right now. And I think it's uh, more to come from him. Rocco, caught any of Real Madrid lately? No, no, none, none for me, uh, to be completely honest. But I do uh, note that they've been, they've been doing really well. The one... Uh, basically for the last five matches, and uh, they've really tightened up in defense uh, as well. Uh, I think they conceded basically one of this like, first goal in the last six or seven games. Yeah. So, you know, they're really coming into form right now. They got good momentum. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, I second what you say. Right now, they're they're both tied for first in uh, in La Liga, which is, you know, a big surprise. <laughs> but uh, but it's it just makes it all the more... Uh, exciting for uh, uh, Madridistas and Cules uh, in uh, in Spain for uh, yet another uh, head-to-head that's uh, that's uh, likely, I think, to, to last pretty deep. Will be interesting to see how uh, Real Madrid sustains this this momentum and how um, you know we we see the two faces of Real Madrid: the one the 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 fall and winter face, and then the uh, the spring where uh, where they they suddenly pop up. And, uh, and and you know uh, end up dominating uh, often in the in the Champions League. So this this is all it's all very interesting. Coming up for them, they have a game against uh, a PSG uh, mm. in uh, in Madrid. And I think um, even though it, things are looking very unlikely for them to win their group, I think they're going to win the game uh, against their. Uh, their group leaders um, on uh, coming up in midweek uh, for the Champions League, but uh, we'll we'll see we'll see if they're able to to squeak uh, squeak past and position themselves uh, for uh, for a really good um, for a win, if you will, or to position themselves uh, in an ideal situation where they would win their uh, win their group for the Champions League. Yeah, I I think it's really kind of been uh, an impressive job by Zidane really I mean I and and part of it I guess you could say it was a little bit of his fault with with the drama I know there's always blame to go around when when stuff like that happens over the summer with the whole bail issue but he really has righted the ship and and it's not an easy club to do that so we'll see how they handle that over the course of the season but we're gonna get into why we really brought Rocco in here and that is for some Serie A, some Calcio. Obviously, this is where we're all, all three of us are uh, most well-versed in. We're going to be going through a bunch of uh, the teams, you know, positive teams, underwhelming teams. We're going to touch on uh, international Italy dominating uh, Euro qualifying group. Um, it's just been a resurgence under Mancini. But we'll start off with Serie A first. Roma. 
Speaking of resurgences, under Fonseca, man, I, I they have just been from top to bottom almost every single area within this squad, you could argue, has improved. The younger guys are playing better. Jekyll's still scoring. I know he struggled a little bit as of late, but he is still a reliable piece up top. Chris Smalling is, I, I still can't believe it. <laughs> He's, he, after he scarred yesterday, uh, or sorry, but it must have been today. My uh, head's all over the place. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't even know what to say. I know Fonseca was highly touted coming over to Serie A. I mean, he's just he's just been fantastic. Matt, I know you discussed it today about the most impressive managers in Serie A, but, I mean, what could we ta- say about Roma, guys? I mean, Roma, Paul Fonseca has been uh, probably, the if you really want to look at the top three or top four managers uh, uh, based off of the club's position in the table so far through 13 rounds, uh, I think Fonseca has done uh, a stand-up job with that squad. It was a very difficult job to come into during the, uh, you know, during the summer. Um, obviously, the fallout of, uh, of the Monkey and the Francesco reign, they had to really kind of blow up the project more or less. They had to get players that just simply didn't fit. They had to come get players in that were you know, Fonseca-like players and players that um, kind of kind of fit his scheme and could kind of get Roma back on track. And you really look at the squad that he's been able to um, get going here despite some of the injuries. Um, you know, you have the obviously players that we've come to know in recent years who have been able to lead uh, Roma with some really good performances. But, you know, even look at Paolo Lopez and goal. Obviously, we talked about Ron Olsen um, as uh, the, the, the replacement for Alisson last year. Um, Lopez has quietly been one of those steady, steady goalkeepers. He's not a high-profile keeper by any stretch. He's not the Donnarumma, Meret, Buffon, those, the Wojciech Szczesny, of course, who, in my opinion, has been best keeper this year in Serie A, and Handanovic, but he's been steady, and I think that's ultimately one of the things that, you know, we've looked at with Fonseca's side so far, is that that steadiness. They've been very solid. Yes, they've dropped some points here and there, of course, before the international break, they lost to Parma, but if you look at the position at the table, they're in a really good spot, and we haven't really seen uh, Fonseca get the opportunity to coach a healthy Roma. And I think that's going to be one of the most exciting things to see in the second half of the season. Um, of course, after this holiday period as well. But now with all the international, all these, you know, uh, it, most of the international competitions kind of out of the way now, we can start to get really down and focused on uh, club football. You know, mm-hmm. when I look at with the job he's done so far, and yes, getting results out of this squad that has been depleted, but also improving players, which I think is very fascinating to look at. I think it's something you really have to credit him for. Obviously, you both uh, alluded to uh, Chris Smalling, uh, a.k.a. Smaldini, who's uh, really scoring goals, he's getting assists. He's um, at age 29-30, if I'm correct. He's uh, become somewhat of a leader and a reborn player in Rome, and I think no one really expected this. And here it's funny because you're looking at what's going on with Manchester United, right? They had all these players that they thought, once we get rid of Smalling, once we get rid of Lukaku, Alexis Sanchez, Fellaini then Manchester United could be back. Well, all those outcasts, or those those castaways, are doing really well in Serie A, right? Well, they Rafael give up three goals to Sheffield United. Smalling has probably been the best central defender mm-hmm. in Italy this season mm-hmm. and one of the top in Europe. Then you look at the fact that Javier Pastore has been somewhat of a reborn player, and he's had a, a new lease on life after kind of looking like a, a somewhat of a perplexing transfer um, uh, under Monchi. I think you really have to look at Fonseca and Roma and give him a lot of credit in this situation. Now, I think there's going to be some people that would say, well, you know, is it is it more Roma that we should give credit for or the f- fact that there's been some certain teams that have just 
quite literally underachieved. Obviously, we know Napoli have been uh, having a very difficult season as well as Milan. But, you know, I think you have to look at Roma's situation and understand that, look, they have certain players intact. You have some winners like Dzeko, as you mentioned. He's not scoring at the same pace as Immobile, but he's not that leading type player. He's a player that leads by example. He's not the guy that's just going to say, well, if he doesn't score goals, he can't carry this team. He can't decide games. And that's just simply not the case. And I think, you know, we don't know what the situation is going to be like with Florenzi, but the fact that Fonseca hasn't made that, has that hasn't become a problem with him, just goes to show you that Roma have kept things nice and tight um, after, again, a very difficult season last year, which, um, you know, ended with De Rossi's departure and a very ugly exit for him, um, at least in the eye and perception that, you know, the fans have looked at it with. But overall, Roma have been one of my top teams, top performing teams uh, through 13 rounds. And I think a lot of the credit has to go to Fonseca for the ability to come into a new league um, in a difficult situation, in a difficult area of Italy. We all know the expectations to coach in Roma. Um, and, and he's done a, a bang up job so far. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do with this project once they are fully healthy and are moving at the pace at which we think they can. Mm-hmm. So much credit has to be given. I, I fully agree with uh, with your assessment, uh, Matt, on uh, on Fonseca. Uh, considering uh, the fact that uh, he's had to deal with a team that that's been marred with injuries, uh, yet he's been able to make it work. Uh, he had, he inherited a bit uh, of a of a headache from uh, from Di Francesco, who's a gameplay coach, and and Fonseca, who's also known as as uh, as a gameplay coach, but a little less. Um, academic, a little more pragmatic, has been able to make it work with them. And you know, I mean, let's look, let's look at how they're doing so far. Fourth place in Serie A, uh, which I think is directly in line with with their season objectives. Uh, beside the season objective of trying to to finish ahead of Lazio, um, you know, so far so good. Uh, we'll see, as you say, as they as as things progress and as their um, their, their their injury list shortens. Uh, one is only to expect them to to improve, and I suppose we shall see if uh, if indeed that uh, that kind of expectation materializes. They've had a great season so far in the capital, but we're gonna head on over to your squad, Rocco, real quick. Um, look, I, I I said this, uh, and I told people this, and they were asking me what they thought was gonna happen with this Juve game against Atalanta. Injuries or not, I said I just don't see I just don't see them losing. I think this is a spot where people really thought that they were just gonna drop these points simply because of the poor form that they're playing in. And and I say poor form in terms of expectations, right? Because the expectation mm-hmm. was when you play with Saudi, you have the high wages of all these top players. Um, you know, with Cristiano and all of them and and the aspirations for tri- Champions League and competing for every trophy that you can, um, they still find a way to win. And that's what happened again this weekend, 3-1 on Saturday. I mean, this was just prototypical what they do this decade. It doesn't matter if you play great or not. They capitalized on their chances. And, I mean, look, they're still in first play. It's it's absolutely unbelievable. What, what can you say about this? Well, I, I think that uh, we came into this weekend with, um, a lot of questions in terms of in terms of physical fitness of uh, of certain players. Um, Cuadrado apparently had hurt his back. Uh, come came back to a bit of a 
a quagmire in terms of uh, Ronaldo and, and his fitness. And, you know, he, he basically pulled one of those, uh, you know, cough, cough, I'm sick. Uh, and then, you know, goes off and scores uh, four goals for uh, for Portugal over the course of two matches and then comes back and, you know, well, he's not really 100%, so we're going to arrest him. Uh, you know, tons of questions around what, what that was about. Um, you know, of course, uh, one of the theories is, you know, well, they're just trying to arrest him, so he's, you know, in tip-top shape against uh, Atletico, uh, and uh, I don't believe that for a second, to be honest, because if I if I were running mm. things, I would I would have uh, played the best and strongest team I had against uh, Atalanta in order to stay ahead of of Inter. Um, meanwhile, against Atletico coming up on Tuesday, there is a zero zero or a one one draw might. Uh, would would still see us clinch first place in um, in our Champions League uh, group, uh, or of course a win uh, would also do. So you know it's a you have you have two or three results out of uh, uh, that that would actually uh, be perfect for Juventus in, in the Tuesday game. Why not then uh, try to put all your best and, and brightest against Atalanta? No. Uh, they opted to keep Ronaldo out. I believe, and this is my my secret uh, conspiracy, if you will. <laughs> There's just one little piccadillo here for you guys, for your for your listeners. Is that you know what? Maybe uh, there was a, an ad, a, a non-advertised um, kind of punishment for Ronaldo, just to say, well, you know, you stormed off. You know, it's against protocol. Um, you know. I, for as far as we know, he wasn't fined, but you know you're gonna have to sit out a game, and that's exactly what happened. So he sat, he sat it out. Um, you know, maybe maybe it fits the theory. It's just a theory. We'll never know uh, unless we're you know we're, we're actually in it. Um, and uh, I'm sure there's you know between Sarri and Danieli and uh, Paratici and Nedved, I'm sure they 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 know what happened exactly. Uh, but uh, but you know all of that is a moot point right now because. At the end of the day, Juventus uh, was still able to come away with the full three points, winning the first for the first time in Bergamo uh, since um, in the last three seasons. Um, they hadn't come away with a win, and I think that was on the balance of four matches because it was a uh, Coppa Italia game last year, which saw Juventus be ousted from um, from the, that competition with a, uh, a remarkable three nothing win by the by the home side. The uh, La Dea, the Nerazzurri of, uh, of Bergamo. Um, and, uh, you know, 3-1, three, three yeah. Uh, was it deserved? Was it... No, no, I, I completely uh, I completely agree with you, Martino. I, we did not uh, come out of there. I was, I was watching the match with, with a few friends, and, you know, I, I was sitting there and saying, you know, frustrated at the, uh, you know, 66th, 67th minute, and I was just saying, you know what, guys, this is it. Like, we're not going to come out of here alive. We're, we don't we don't look like we're going to tie the game. We don't deserve to tie the game. Forget it. And then suddenly, uh, I believe what happened was that Atalanta's breakneck speed and pressure and physical expenditure just, you know, just came to an end. The, the tank emptied. And um, uh, by by uh, a little bit of luck and and you know with a few with a few questionable uh, calls which uh, which which have been discussed at length on social media, newspapers, and uh, former refereeing experts, 
uh, have commented on. You know, Juventus was able to come through with uh, with the three one win. Um, I think uh, I think the uh, you know a win by two goals is a is a false uh, is a false uh, scoreline. I, I think Atalanta deserved to come away with more uh, in this game. Matt. What did you uh, did you get a chance to catch this? Because I know you said you were a little busy um, this weekend. Yeah, I actually had a chance to catch uh, the entire game for uh, for Juve Atalanta, and I think you know much of which what Rocco said, I definitely agree with, and I think he did a great job of kind of wrapping things up and kind of giving you uh, the listener uh, a great recap of what actually happened and transpired in that game. And, and Juventus's current situation as a whole right now, I, I found and my biggest takeaway from this, and this is something I. I guess talked about, um, you know, after the the Milan game because again there's a lot of things to kind of connect here. Obviously, Rocco, you alluded to, uh, you know, him walking off, and as part of your, your your theory that maybe that's why he was kind of scratched from this game. I think that this performance from Juve, um, not a very impressive one. One that obviously is not going to be enough to win them the Champions League. Uh, that's mm-hmm. that's definitely a fact. I will say this though, I think, you know, performance like this where for the better part of the game, about two thirds of the game, they uh, Atalanta were the better side and credit to Gasparini for uh, you know, getting that team for, for really not even just this season, this game, but just for the, the entire time he's been the manager of that club. They chase after every loose ball. They're always pressing. They're, they just really believe in his system. And I think that's, uh, you know, something that's so admirable to watch from a club that is not going to spend with the big big boys but will always be in the thick of things because of the project they have the way they groom uh, talent um like obviously kulisevsky who's on loan at pharma which um we covered in a previous episode but getting back to uh, juventus i think the biggest takeaway for me from this this 3-1 victory for them was the fact that um if they do choose to go on somewhat of a, a of a load management call it what you what you will uh, i know it's a, a big <laughs> term if you toss around in the nba for lebron james but if you call it a load management for cristiano ronaldo because he is getting up there in age 34 35 um and he has a lot of miles on him he tends to carry a lot of the teams that he does uh, play for over the course of his career i think you could look at guys like paulo dibala and gonzalo higuain um in situations like this where they can still carry juve uh, through delicate parts of the season where they don't have him. I think that's always been uh, something that we've always looked to Ronaldo to do, right? A uh, perfect example was in the Champions League last year against uh, Atletico Madrid, where mm. Juve really weren't that strong. Obviously, the second leg, they were a little bit stronger, no doubt. Um, but Ronaldo with a hat trick, right? You look at the mm-hmm. performances and you're like, okay, well, Ronaldo, this, this is why we're paying all the money. Like, save us, pretty much, right? Um Obviously, there's been many things going on with Ronaldo, whether or not he's in the right position on the field to get all the, the, the score goals, to have the biggest impact. Um, that's kind of remains to be seen. I think, you know, that's, it's kind of comes down to a lot of things where I believe that Sarri is still trying to get the system going that he wants. I don't think we've seen the best form of Juventus by any stretch. And if we have, then I don't think Rocco is going to be too happy. Uh, <laughs> and I, I look at Iguayi. I just like the fact that it's kind of the same old guys, that this, the same two players, like the Argentine connection. You know, still being able to carry Juve. Um, Dybala, I, I'm a huge fan of. I think he's been uh, a, one of the, a beacon of light, a beacon of... Uh, um, I, I really don't know what else to call, to call this guy because I think, you know, I, I can admire a player who was pretty much getting shoved to the exit door this past summer, uh, you know, for Lukaku, for other players to, to make way there. But he's like, I want to say, I believe I can prove, and, I prove myself at this club and I belong here. And what does he do? He doesn't start the season as a starter 
He's kind of in and out of the squad. He's playing different roles. But a game like against you, uh, against Milan, comes off the bench. He has that 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 solo brilliance where he can really change a game um, in an instant. Same thing with this one between him and Iguain. He looked very sharp, and I think you know throughout the course of the season, I think you're really going to start to look at a position where. If Maurizio Tsari wants to ensure that Ronaldo is fit and fresh for the games that mean the most, of course, knockout games in the Champions League, I think he will take some calculated, um, you know, uh, make some calculated decisions with regards to Ronaldo's status in, for, for certain games and say, look, Ronaldo may not be injured, but I'm not going to have him start the game against Lecce when I got the Champions League knockout game three days later. I'll play Dybala Iguain no problem and get the same result even if it's maybe somewhat a little bit uglier it's not as, as sharp as we'd like because at the end of the day guys we know that juve are one of the few clubs if on, probably the only club right now who has the, the the star power to win ugly and do it consistently throughout a good part of the season we've seen it many times even max allegri's code uh, uh, uh sides in previous years where everyone's like oh it's allegri it's the same thing we're, we're losing we're winning ugly we're when we get start playing attractive champagne football but Allegri is somehow he's been able to you know win the league all those years, get them to two Champions League finals, win the Coppa Italia, the Super Cups, you name it, doing it his way. So look, I think there's still it still remains to be seen whether or not this this is going to be the sorry ball uh, uh, effect at Juve. Uh, I still think again there's going to be that second part of the season where I do think that Juve are going to hit their stride, they're going to hit their peak, and they're going to start to look really good. Um, offensively, like we expected them to under Sari, but at the same time, this weekend, uh, this result on the weekend was just yet another example of how Juve can pull games uh, uh, out of nowhere, win games, get in, get out, and move on to the next one, and 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 you know, kind of ride that over a short period of time. Again, it's not ideal. Again, I think with the talent they have, the money they spent on certain players, um, they you know, Juventus fans expect more. But I think there's definitely some positives to take away from this Juventus side um, at the moment, despite not playing um, you know, great football. And you know, obviously, Chesney being one of them, Bonucci, De Ligt really look sharp together centrally. I think that, that's a big major plus for them. Obviously, the midfield has some question marks there, no doubt. Kadira, Chan, I don't know who really what the, the primary three should be for them. I think Pjanic has been a rock and he's far and wide their best midfielder. But, you know, look, they have players that can carry Juventus through, through difficult matches, and that's exactly what we saw on the weekend, where they didn't look dominant by any stretch, but they the the scoreline gives them the result that they need, and ultimately it maintains their top position in the table, and that's at this point really all you're looking for. Yeah. How? Uh, oh, oh, sorry. Go. Sorry, if I can come in just quickly on, on two little things. Um, one, Sadi versus Allegri. I wanted to talk to to, to talk a little bit about the Sadi ball versus a. Let's say a, a lady ball. It, one observation that I've made, um, and I believe I tweeted about this earlier uh, this weekend, was the fact that it seems as though uh, Juventus turned has an inability to break down closed to usually smaller uh, sides that kind of that 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 uh, as they say you know park the bus uh, in front of the in front of their net and. And I find in those situations we revert to uh, uh, alegrismo, to more to more uh, pragmatic type football and winning ugly. And it looks as though, I, at least I'm left with a distinct impression that when we do play uh, bigger teams that are, are a little more open, that leave a little more space, that uh, are a little more offensive looking, um, that's when we're really able to to kind of play that a little more 
beautiful ball. I think we've seen this against Napoli. Okay, might have been too early in the season to tell. Uh, and we've seen this against Inter. So, you know, I, I just want to see how, how far along this, this theory uh, lasts. Uh, and or maybe my, it may be on my observation is wrong. Um, and on the second, the second thing I wanted to mention was relating to CR7 and how how he's, he was used under Allegri and uh, this year. Uh, and he did point out, and I think rightfully so. Uh, I think he made an astute uh, observation about how Sadly has been um, a little more careful about overutilizing him while Allegri was, you know, we were playing. Allegri's thing was we're playing. Uh, CR7, no matter what, um, you know, I, I I think that's I think that's accurate, and I think that you know that observation is indeed reflective of reality. But I think that the situation is a little more fluid, right? I mean, last year was Ronaldo's first season, and you know you want to almost we almost had to play him every game because we wanted him to get as many opportunities to score and or shoot on goal and. You know, and everything that goes along with it, um, and you know, parade him around Italy with uh, you know, home and away, um, make sure, making sure that uh, he was on TV all the time, um, you know, and all that. As opposed to now, I think we're we're using him a little, we're a little more astute about how we're we're utilizing his time, and you know, making sure that he's going to be. In tip-top shape in key parts of the season, we did see overall the team um, Juventus drop off a little bit physically uh, in this in, in this in the latter parts of last season, and you know of course this was this was all the more evident against uh, Ajax. Um, of course, it didn't help that they were on average you know five years younger than us, and you know running running around the field like jackrabbits. Uh, but uh, I think we're trying we're trying to learn from that mistake and uh, and show up with our with our best uh, players uh, in the best um, in the competitions that they, that they're most suited for uh, in the best shape uh, possible. Yeah, I'm that. I mean, you're not gonna find better Juve analysis on this podcast than that. That was uh, that was fantastic. Um, so let's swing on over to Juve's main competition, quote unquote. I mean, competition is a funny word to toss around in this league these days. Um, Inter, right? Inter have been fantastic still. I mean, they destroyed Torino away 3-0. Unfortunately for them, though, Barella is hurt. Um, and this kind of ties in to an interesting question that I was going to have about them anyways, because we know how animated Conte is when it comes to, um, you know, the market. Um, we're approaching January at this point. We don't know the full extent of Barella's injury. Um, there's a glimmer of hope that they're able to get out of the group stage um, for the Champions League. They need to take care of business against Barcelona uh, and Slavia Prague. But, Rocco, under, under Inter this year i mean what what can you say have you still been impressed on how they've been able to handle um some of these injuries because you know alexis sanchez goes down sensi has missed time and now it looks like barella is going to be missing some time um what have you taken away from them because they've been very impressive absolutely absolutely impressive uh team and you know expect no less 
under a master such as such as Conte, uh, turnaround coach, hard ass, uh, really, uh, you know, of course, you know, decorated, you know, Mister, you know, I, I walk into domestic league and, and and take it home. He was right when he said, you know, in order for us to win, we have to do something really, really, really special, while others have to have to, and others meaning, you know, of course, he was referring to Juventus will have to. To, to, to make complete disasters, right? Completely drop the ball. Um, and you know what? He is doing, uh, and mentors doing everything they can to indeed um, in, in, indeed make that true and carry that out to a T, according to their commander. Um, <laughs> you know, was he, does Juventus' roster, um, does Inter's roster, excuse me, mimic Juve's? No way. No way. They they're nowhere as deep. They do they do have great uh, maybe a great 12, 13 players, but you know as far as the backups are concerned, it, it, it drops off quite a bit. In turn, in fact, uh, Conte has been has been uh, getting or been forced to get Bastoni sometime. Um, Esposito uh, up top. So Bastoni as a as a as a center back, and but in uh, Esposito as a as a forward. You know, so and, and he's able to make do with that. So you know, hats off, hats off to him. Just one point behind. You know, keeping the, you know, we can still feel. You know, if you, if you go, if you ask Juventini, you know, when we when we're we're walking around or just you know lying back watching watching our team, you can still feel you, the breath of of Conte's Inter on our neck. You know, they're just right behind us. One just one point behind. Uh, um, you know, um, they've been Sanchez. You mentioned on top of fact that they had that they're not the deepest uh, team they've had he's had to make do with uh, with quite a few injuries early on the season and they're there and they're still there you know I think if Inter um, really constant focuses their their energies on winning the Scudetto it would be it wouldn't be a surprise uh, to me considering the thing how things are going right now uh, that that they end up uh, taking it especially if Juventus uh, distracted with with a uh, with a successful Champions League campaign, um, and especially since um, it looks like, or as it looks like, Inter will be struggling deep into the into their Champions League uh, group um, and might drop out and maybe go into Europa League, right? So yeah, no, it's, they've in terms of gameplay. To be honest, I think they've gotten away with a few, uh, especially early on. When when it was learning, uh, it was a lot of uh, upward. Uh, they they were still going up that that steep learning curve. Um, you know, the, I, I recall a game where where uh, De Paul from Udinese basically uh, you know slapped one of Inter. I think it was Candreva. Got he got expelled and you know basically made the game a lot easier for Inter to take home. They won that game one nothing. Uh, they came away with a two one win in Cagliari, which. The uh, Sardinia Arena, uh, Arena is going to be a really, really tough, tough uh, place for anyone to to come out with any points uh, this season. Um, and uh, you know, and, but they did so, you know, thanks to a late penalty. So it was, it was. They've struggled. They've struggled. You can't, you can't really. They didn't dominate every single game, but nor did, nor did Juventus, to be, to be completely honest. So. Um, we'll see how far, how how long this kind of head to head lasts, and you know, I really, we really have to be thankful, as um, you know, for for the little jobs that, that we have here, as 
podcasters, writers, uh, fans, or you know, you 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 can fill in the rest. Uh, the, we have to be thankful for for inter uh, for keeping it interesting because to be honest, if had they if they dropped off, what the next team down is is Lazio with uh, I believe they're what 13 points behind Juventus, 12 behind Inter, right? So they're they're keeping they're keeping that Scudetto race alive and interesting and uh, Serie A relevant for for all to watch. Well said, uh, Rocco. I think Rocco did a great job, kind of you know. Kind of giving us the, the the look at what Inter currently are as a club right now under Conte. Um, it's they definitely had like obviously uh, like Juventus um, their difficulties throughout the season, but I think Conte has always been adamant. He's always been steadfast in saying, you know, your my guys have to suffer, they have to spit blood, they got to do all these sorts of things if they want to be champions. He did that with the Euro 2016 roster for Italy, and you know, look, I think you know Conte and Conte's Inter have another gear that they can enter. In my opinion, I think. What we saw earlier on in the season um, just kind of you know, gave us like a kind of an idea of what they can be. I think we haven't seen the best um, of this interside under Conte. I think once we get uh, Stefano Sensi, if we recall, he hasn't been healthy in, in weeks. And when you throw him in the fact that they have Barella out now as well, they certainly have to look to January um, to reinforce and ensure they can be uh, the anti-Juve for the rest of the way. Because I think, again... You know, for all the good that they have in that starting eleven, and maybe they have thirteen to fourteen solid, solid players. Um, you know, the drop off in talent, as Rocco mentioned, um, it's stark. There's a there's a there's a drastic difference between Juve and, and Inter. And look, if, whether or not they get out of their group, um, that's what that remains to be seen in the Champions League. But if they start going into the Europa League, you still need that depth. And we haven't even talked about the Coppa Italia yet, which comes to play shortly as well. Where you know that's another fixture you got to worry about. You're playing a lot more games, and when you don't have that depth, like Juve have, where they can put a guy in, like, hey, we're just going to rest Ronaldo, we're going to rest Dybala, we're going to put Iguain in there, or you know, we're going to play Bentancur, um, you know, some of our deeper midfielders. We're going to put Bernadeschi in the midfield, you know, as opposed to playing as a winger in the hole as an attacking midfielder. You know, they have that luxury of being able to rotate their options and ensure that fitness for the long haul. Whereas it remains to be seen whether or not Inter have the depth, which I think it brings it brings me to, to Conte and, and whether or not he's justified in, in kind of coming out publicly in the media because he has um, in recent weeks saying that, you know, well, there's there's not enough experience in the squad. You know, I need more players. And I think he's right. I think, you know, look, yeah, you know, for all for all, for everyone wants to win. the Everyone wants to win the title. They want to do this. They want to do that. I understand that, and they did already spend quite a bit of money in the summer. They brought in Lukaku, they brought in certain players, Godin on a free transfer. They they did bring in certain players, Lazaro, for example, Sensi Barella. So they did spend for Conte, but I think it's mm-hmm. clear to see that with already two major injuries in the midfield uh, at this point in the season, you know it doesn't take much uh, in bad form and in bad stretches for you to lose the Scudetto, and we Napoli are a perfect example of that, right? You know, you could be in it for 34 or 35 rounds and all of a sudden uh, you start slipping up for two or three, three or four, and all of a sudden you're out. Your, your title shot's done. So I think, you know, this these next couple weeks, once the window opens, um, it's going to be very intriguing to see where Juve and Inter are on the table. If they're neck and neck, I think if you're Inter and you're the, 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 the management, I think you have to meet Conte's demands because I don't think there's any more opportune time for you to dethrone Juve than this season because I think they're vulnerable, they're there to be had. Again, I'm not completely out um, you know, discrediting or ruling out Juve winning another title, 
Um, but I think it's clear to see that they're the anti-Juve if there is going to be one this year. And I think if you pay that money for Conte, I think you got to get him at least some of the players that he's demanding. I don't expect Inter to spend 100, 120 million, of course. But you know, there have been talks about getting Olivia Giroud. Um, you know, that's that's someone I could definitely see them bringing in another strike option because between Lukaku and Lautaro and, and a three-five-two, you need another option for sure. And I think. Giroud has that experience. He's a player that Conte likes. He knows what he's getting from him. Um, and I think there's other areas in that team that need to be improved and bolstered. I don't necessarily expect them to get these star players. Um, I think if they're able to get a forward and a nice quality midfielder to round things out, I think they'll have more than enough. Um, Rakitic, maybe he's an option if Inter, if Inter are right neck and neck with Juve once the window opens and they're feeling a little ambitious, feeling a little dangerous, and they want to kind of you know, give Conte a nice little... Uh, you know, a Christmas gift, then maybe Rakitic is an option for them. But I think, uh, generally speaking, uh, Inter are, are the anti-Juve, and I think you know, Conte um, should be at least rewarded with a one or two players to ensure that, that it, this is not something that kind of nosedives later in the season and, and obviously their title hopes uh, dwindle away. So I, I really am going to be keeping an eye on uh, you know what's going to go on with uh, Inter um, in the January market because I expect them um, to be one of the more active teams. Well, that said, and and not, I don't want to get too long in the tooth here on on one subject, but um, you know, uh, some of some of Conte's bad luck might start to run out in that you know Sensi might be making his way in as Barella uh, as Barella is out. I'm not I'm not 100% sure on what on what Sensi's uh, timing to return is, but I didn't get the the sense that it was very that it was a very long kind of uh, kind of long, kind of injury. Uh, unlike Barella's, really looks like to be right now. Uh, same goes for Sanchez coming back into the fold. So that might be uh, that that might kind of uh, fill the gap in the meantime. But yeah, to your point, uh, perhaps one or two additions might might just do for uh, for Conte this. Uh, uh, this time around, but let, let me let me ask you guys a question uh, relating to the um, and, and and this might be kind of around the corner and, and perhaps even a moot point. I really hope that it's a moot point for the sake of Italian football. Uh, but do you think if if you're Conte and uh, you place third in your group and you go to the Europa League, do you kind of just shout it, it easy? players second stringers in Europa League uh, and see how far they get and then put all your eggs in the in the Scudetto basket or do you actually try to for a bona fide uh, chance at at winning the Europa League because to be to be quite honest and of course this is something that we have to uh, we'd have to uh, evaluate once we see who the final uh, the final you know 32 teams that will be in the competition come April uh, sorry come February um, but you know, do you go for the Europa League or do you split it? Do you do you go only for the Scudetto? What what, what do you what do you guys think? I think if you're an intern, I think you look at their situation this year as opposed to previous years. I think if you find yourself in the Europa League, I don't think you necessarily mail it in um, and play just kind of a very slim, very young roster. I think you you, you there's no problems in, in playing some younger players in these tournaments because. Chances are that if they do fall into that Europa League competition, they're going to have some soft opponents that they can uh, uh, kind of ease up on. They can play um, certain individuals, rest certain players instead of running, you know, like so Lukaku or Lautaro out there. Um, you can, you know, again, you can lean on some of the younger players. Like you could play Bastone and 
um, you know, maybe a Ranocchia or Ranocchia and, you know, certain players in certain positions and still get the results you want without compromising on your main objective, which, of course, um, is is the Serie A title. So I wouldn't necessarily mail it in. It's something, one of those things where, um, you know, it's it's kind of one of the problems that I was um, – one of the things that I was okay with as a Milan fan talking about the Europa League because for the simple fact it was like, okay, fine. If you want to, if you want to get into or you wanted to keep your Europa League status, of course we all know what happened, right? They got, you know, they had an agreement with UEFA, they got out of the Europa League. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, it's one of those things where it's like, do you see yourself winning this trophy? If you do, then by all means go for it, right? But if if it's going to compromise on your main objective, which is to win a title, which is what Inter are doing then you got to kind of really take calculated risks with certain players because, um, you know, call it, let's hypothetically speaking, say, you know, you enter a couple points off or one point or two points off U of A at, you know, match day 25, 26, 27 in that area. And they play a game in, in, in the Europa League and they risk a player like a Lukaku or like a Lautaro or Barella, they re-aggravate something and now that completely throws you off your, your, uh, your course to win the title then there's going to be backlash. It's, is it really worth it? So that's one of those things, again, which uh, you know brings me back to what I previously said, is they got to make sure that Conte has the sufficient uh, resources within the squad to stick with this, this title chase for the long haul. If you're going to start you know, getting cute with things and just say, well, look, we're going to try and win the Europa League, and you know, besides Juve, you know, Juve are the exception. They're the one team that you know if they can balance and they have the squad depth to go between tournament to tournament, right? And I think it's it's proof in the pudding because we see it with certain clubs like Lazio and Roma, for instance, in the Europa League, where they look good in the gym and look good not Champions League. Excuse me, they look good in uh, domestic fight, domestic. but then all of a sudden they'll drop points in the in the Europa League, right? There's something mm. to that. So mm. I, I I think if if you know getting back to your main question, I would say it's something that is has to be you have to tread lightly with that. You have to really navigate it with caution. Um, because I think again, there's there's no better time for Juventus to be dethroned for the title, and I think Inter really have to prioritize that title chase over anything else. But you know, it really depends on how deep you get into it, right? Because if you get so deep into the season where you're still right with Juve, but you're calling in the round of 16 or in the quarterfinals of Europa League, well, you then you don't want to completely just not go after a trophy, right? Because at the end of the day, you know, if Inter don't win the if, if Inter don't win the title. They, found, they come up just short to Juve, but let's say they finish mm-hmm. second and win a Europa League trophy, that's a pretty good season for them under under Conte in year one. So again, it's one of those things where it's going to be a week-to-week basis, and that I think it's going to be one of Conte's biggest challenges if it gets to that point where they're not in the Champions League anymore. Yep, bang on. I fully agree with your assessment. I think that would be a good strategy to follow. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be really fascinating to uh, see everything unfold. And I'm looking forward to a bunch of Antonio Conte uh, press conferences following uh, January. Because if things start to go south, at least it'll be very entertaining in that aspect. Um, so, so we're going to be heading towards Italy now. And by Italy, I mean the national team. Because... I love to pat myself on the back for this because I'm not a very creative person, but I do think I the one creative thing that I have said was that I feel that this current um, Azzurri team over the past year or so, this is the uh, dawn of a new era, and I like to call it the Renaissance era. You know, just a rebirth of Italy. They've, they've gotten so much talent, 
right? And and uh, they've developed a ton of it. You could just even – the midfield is the highlight of that, right? I mean, there's so many different names that you could go through, especially over the course of the past 18 months or so that have just been coming out of the woodworks, getting Jorginho, Verratti, finally being able to be healthy um, at times to, to play often. There's Barella. Uh, when he when he's healthy as well, Sensi. I mean, there's so many guys up and down. Hopefully, Chiellini comes back. Mancini has just been fantastic and and not afraid to give younger players an opportunity to to get some burn in in, uh, in some of these matches during Euro qualifying. And we saw that against Armenia. I mean, ten for ten in the group, thirty points, and, and almost every Azzurri fan will say it. I, I know. The both of you have said it. I think we've all had conversations on this. Is that um, I love that they're not backing down and not caring about certain matches like the past two on this recent international break because they were already qualified for the tournament. And in the past, they wouldn't have cared as much. They're playing guys that may or may not have definitely had a shot or a role on the team come tournament time. I think him giving a lot of burn, especially to a kid like Tonali um, as well, interchanging fullback, seeing if they deserve a shot, you know, sticking with Balotti and all that. And I just personally love the way they handle their business on the field. I love the way Mancini handles everything um, in terms of rotation. Um, Matt, what, what have you thought about the national team so far? Well, I think first off, you know, touching on uh, the previous international break, the two fixtures um, that they played, they dominated, of course, the 9-1 victory of Armenia was the one that stood out. Um, you saw a little bit of everyone in that game, right? Zaniolo scored a couple goals. Um, you know, you saw Romagnoli. You saw a lot of these different players, right? Tonali, as you mentioned, um, who's one of the biggest time prospects right now. I, it, it's a testament to Mancini's philosophy and how it's come been a complete reversal of what we were accustomed to under Ventura, right? The, the failures under Ventura to not qualify the World Cup, not really ushering in any youth players. Remember, it took him until uh, I think that was the first game against Sweden to actually cap Jorginho to Italy, which is shocking considering the fact that Jorginho was one of the best midfielder options um, at his disposal. Um, you know, throughout his course at Napoli, and in fact, he wasn't even used when you know they were they their World Cup hopes were hanging in the balance, right? It just goes to just goes to show you how out of out of touch he was with what was going on. But getting back to to brighter the brighter sides of what's uh, what's going on with the national team, um, I've had zero complaints with Mancini at all. I think there's a lot of people that are going to say, well, what about Balotelli? Why hasn't he been given a call? Um, <laughs> you know, what about Moise Kane? You know, Moise Kane is a player that's obviously very talented. Um, you know, why is he still going with Immobile out there? He doesn't produce for the national team, or at least as, as much as he does for Lazio as he does for the national team, you know, whatever, however you want to spin it. But I think for me, when I was looking at, you know, just the goal, just kind of going through Mancini's selections and Man- this, this really this whole Euro 2020 qualifying phase for Italy in general, it seemed as though it was at every call up or every international break, he was calling up someone new, someone exciting, someone deserving, most importantly. And not giving a, a, a spot to someone who maybe felt entitled to it. Um, and I think that was the biggest difference, right? We see in so many years where it's, oh, but this guy is, you know, he's been like a Montalivo or like a Florenzi or a, a Parolo, for instance, where it's like, oh, but he's, you know, he's been with the national team. So he's kind of has tenure. He has seniority. He should get a spot, right? I think when you're looking at with the way this 
um, qualifying phase shaped up and, and really essentially what we can project moving forward with the uh, with the Italy roster heading into next summer, you know, they have options. They have the luxury of players that you can say, you know, look, Mancini, if Mancini goes this way, I won't be disappointed. If he goes this way, I won't be disappointed. It's not going to be, oh, well, he has to bring these three players or this guy, I don't, I don't trust this manager to do the right thing and to get the job done in, in, in the tournament, right? You know, defensively, you look at even certain players where, you know, they, they, they're not so much dependent on the old guard. I think there is obviously still a place of Bonucci, Chiellini being the preferred tandem um, for that tournament. Again, I know there's some people who are mixed on that saying, well, you know, look, Chiellini's yeah, he's injury prone. He's he's kind of in the in the fight twilight of his career. They got to look look in different directions. I still think if Chiellini's healthy, I think he has definitely one more tournament in him, and I think he could still be a major factor for Italy. But you look at some of the other areas where you have guys like Gianlu- Gianluca Mancini, right, who can play centrally, um, like he has for Roma, but he's, he can also play in the midfield and do a job for you. Like that's a good asset. That's a good piece to have um, in a tournament, right? A guy you can play in multiple positions for you. He could do several different things, give the opponent several different looks. Um, and you look in the midfield, which is obviously the most bolstered, right? You have seven, eight, nine guys that I'm, I'm looking at with this squad. Castrovilli, who's emerged. Tonali. You have um, Zaniolo, who's played a little bit in the midfield, although he plays more predominantly as a winger. You have, you know, Jorginho, Barella, Ferrati, Sensi. I mean, you have names. You have guys that you can lean on in certain moments. And that's something that we just haven't had in such a long time. And it's a true testament to what you just said, Martino, about it being a somewhat of a rebirth, a renaissance era for Italy, right? Football cyclical. We see it with several other nations. We saw it with Spain, right, when they won the year 20, uh, 2008 Euro, the World Cup, and then the 2012 Euro. And then they kind of bowed out in the, in the, in the next World Cup in the group stage. Football cyclical, I think it was kind of understood that, you know, the previous coaches, uh, Prandelli, although I think he did a pretty decent job, all things considered. Um, Ventura, a lot of these managers, even Lippi and, and you know, the earlier part of the decade, they kind of relied on a lot of the, the success, the, a lot of a lot of the players of previous successes, right, to kind of carry them, and they kind of prolonged things that really weren't there. And I think that's the biggest thing with Mancini is that he's come in, he's kind of given new life to the national team, more or less minus a, a player or two here, because again, Bonucci, Cavani, you're still going to have certain players that are still going to start, but more or less, if you look at the squad that's been playing for the past two rounds of, of fixtures in international play versus the squad that we saw um, against Sweden in that second game. It's it's very much different. You know, you're starting. You don't see the guys like Florenzi. You don't see certain players here and there. Buffon obviously is not part of it anymore. Um, but you're seeing again a lot of youth. I will say this though, there is a bit of a caution, a little bit of a danger that I couldn't see with this is that there's going to be great expectations that people have for the national team to win the whole thing. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. Because again, when people are looking at this from optics, they're saying, wow, Italy won 10 from 10. They took a full 30 points they got from Euro qualifying. And their goal, goal, uh, goal, difference, excuse me, goal difference has been astronomically in their favor. With these sort of results and these numbers comes this great expectation to be, well, if they don't win, it's, not, it's considered a failure. And I think in the Italians, naturally, they want to win these tournaments. They're a big powerhouse. And after the failure against Sweden, not qualifying for the World Cup, it's only fitting that they want, like, we want to win something. Having said that, there's a lot of youth here. And a lot of these youth players haven't played in a big, big tournament yet. So that's going to be kind of my biggest or slightest concern heading into the summer. Again, a lot of them have experience and a lot of them play with with, with no fear, which is which is great, which is very mm-hmm. something I'm very uh, encouraged about. 
But I just wanted to point that out is, is that for all the good that you know the Italy has done, I think it's also they got to be a little bit careful because there are certain nations in this tournament that have that experience, have been battle tested, and I think that's one of the cases where we have to see what Italy is to see. You know, when they get you know kicked in the mouth, can they get back up? Can they respond? Because through most of these games, and I know I'm rambling here, but through a lot of the games for <laughs> qualifying, they haven't really been well. Italy's down a goal. You know, can they come back late? You know turn things around and kind of dig deep and pull themselves up and get a big result. That's something that I really want to start to see. And I'm, I'm hoping to see something like that in, you know, maybe an upcoming friendly when they or, or organize those that, okay, well, what happens when they play a real, real true, true team? Yes. Can they respond? Can they stand toe to toe with them and ultimately come good with the same performances that we saw throughout this entire phase? So that's going to be something that I got to keep an eye on, but more or less just to wrap up, I think Mancini's done a sensational job. And I think he should be definitely applauded at every turn because to, to, to really change the things, the fortunes of what we saw you know, uh, nearly two years ago to being in a position where they are clear for, clear for uh, uh, to be one of the top contenders to win the trophy next next summer, it speaks volumes to how far along Italy has come as a nation in growing talent and building the project again. Yes, indeed. The My Twitter, man, I thought my Twitter uh, TL was broken. Because everybody was saying, uh, you know, I'm saying it now, write it down, you know, favorite this tweet, uh, Italy's going to win Euro 2020, you know. I, that's what a lot of people were writing, and it's funny, I don't even know if they were, if they were reading each other's timelines, but uh, that, that's what everyone was saying, and sure, they, they, there's, I think there's a hope, I think that, I don't, I don't believe that Italy's the A1 favorite uh, for it, I believe that there's other teams that... Uh, they're more seasoned, they're more tri-tested and true. Uh, and, uh, you know, ultimately, we did not compete against each other during this time, this period, but we competed against, uh, well, what I mean is against each other, is against the Frances and the, the Englands and the Netherlands and the Spains and the Germanys. But uh, we did compete against, and let's not forget, um, we were drawn into a, uh, a lot easier group than say Ventura was, who had to had to play had to face uh, Spain, um, and you know Italy was basically a pot two team there and ended up in second place, you know, not surprisingly. Um, but that that said, uh, I asked, who the heck is Zaniolo when Mancini called him up? Zaniolo was. Uh, Barely turned uh, was was part of the of the the deal uh, between Inter and Roma that saw that saw Nangolan going one way and him going the other uh, along with money and you know I said who the hell who who is this Daniel guy they, who, nobody knows this guy who's Grifo I mean I'm still asking who's Grifo to be honest but. But Zaniolo, we've all seen, <laughs> has exploded, right? Zaniolo, over the course of the last two seasons, has, has exploded, has done really well, and is one of the more promising uh, young Italians uh, in, uh, in Serie A and around the world. Um, so credit to, to Mancini for that. Credit to Mancini for the, you know, let's not take away the 30 points, a 10 out of 10, the, the goal scoring. Let's not take that away. Uh, from from him, he's done really well. The gameplay, the the, the 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 champagne football, the bubbly kind of soccer that we saw him him uh, and his side, his Italy uh, uh, propose during these these qualifiers and in the uh, Nations League. 
you know, well done, well done on him on his part to 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 try that and to use the Nations League uh, as the way to as, as probably the way it's, it was meant to be, which is an opportunity to experiment. And out of that experiment came, I recall, a great performance against Poland, I believe. And from that on, from that point, that was the eureka moment for him and for this national team. What I'd like to see, and akin to the point that Matt was trying to make earlier, is I'd like to see that um, tried again. Uh, I want to see that. Uh, I want to see that uh, made a habit, and I want to see that become a character of this team. And uh, you know, I think that over the course of the last four or five games, maybe uh, the last two international breaks, um, I think we've seen that lost a little bit. We, I would like to see that come back. Um, and uh, and 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 why not against? more open sides and uh, for example a Spain for example a, another a more senior team a more storied side um, a more storied international side and I think Italy I think we could see Italy do that and then and you know the, this team is not perfect we do have some lacunae up top uh, we would we would need a, an, a, a super Bernardeschi we would need the immobile that that uh, we would need to, to, to convince Immobile that he's actually wearing the, the light blue jersey, not the deep blue jersey, you know? <laughs> um, uh, we need to see the Immobile of Lazio. Uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, Insigne is kind of lost. So we need, we need something. We need, we need more um, up, up top there. We need to find that kind of, the right kind of combination. Um, so um, I am... I am cautiously optimistic with this with this team. I think that uh, for Italy to end on par, we would we would have to see a team that ends up in the top eight. I think Italy belongs in the top eight in a in a Euro. Uh, I think top four is not unreasonable, but I don't think it, it's a reasonable expectation to 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 expect. Uh, I don't think it's reasonable. Uh, let me rephrase. I don't think it's reasonable to expect Italy to be the top four. Uh, right at the outset of the tournament, um, perhaps on the uh, on the balance of of uh, of their gameplay and of their goal scoring and of their performances in a Euro 2020 tournament, perhaps that might be the conclusion that we come up with. But that a lot of that depends on the moment, depends on the momentum, depends on uh, on physical fitness, depends on lack of injuries, depends on who you get. Uh, drawn in with, you know. Let's not forget there is a full um, uh, um, risk of no matter, despite of it all, become being drawn in with Portugal and/or Spain in this uh, in in this Euro. So that's something to keep an eye on. Um, you know, luck always plays a part of it, and uh, I'm very excited to see what will, will come out of uh, the Sydney side in uh, Euro 2020. Yeah, I am definitely going to be interested to see how that tournament goes. I know everyone else will be, but for the final part of the episode, it's the player profile. Okay, Rocco, it is time for your player profile. Take it away. All right. The player that I chose to profile is Ruslan Malinowski. He plays, of course, for Atalanta. 
Uh, he's a Ukrainian midfielder who's uh, wowed Atalanta scouts. Um, you know, he's not a spring chicken, as you might, as some might say. Uh, he does have international experience. He does play, he plays for Ukraine. He's played for them at junior levels, and uh, of course, currently uh, features uh, is is a very very steady feature in the Ukrainian national team. Um, and uh, you know, of course, he's 27 years old years of age, so he's not uh, he, he's not your uh, um, you know your starlet, uh, but he's had uh, he spent quite a bit of time in uh, in the Ukraine, uh, coming through and uh, at Shakhtar, and then uh, going went uh, went over to to Genk. But before I get that, you know he's he's currently he, right now he's prime, he's ready to be hurled into the spotlight after a few fantastic seasons at, at Belgian side Genk, as I mentioned uh, a few sentences ago. And as we've been able to appreciate so far, his season's been, um, this season, he's been a bit of a free kick specialist. He has a reputation as well for providing assists, and he has the ability of uh, being uh, of versatility. He's known, he can play as a mezzala, uh, he's also played center mid, but also as a trequartista. So in a very versatile kind of uh, uh, malleable and flexible uh, um, and, and dynamic uh, 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 setup that is at, that we see uh, being employed by Gasperini in Bergamo, he could be uh, a player to definitely keep a, keep an eye on. While at Genk, he played 135 games. Um, he scored 30 goals and provided 32 assists, so which is pretty pretty nicely balanced if you if you look at things. Um, but in order to truly break through, he has to beat competition from Pasolich and Freuler, which which of course will be a tall order for uh, for the young Ukrainian. And that's my feature on Ruslan Malinowski. Thank you, Rocco. Well, that was well put, Rocco. Yeah. You know, it's funny, too, is I, I think Atalanta are one of those clubs, you know, you, you talked about Malinowski here as, uh, again, not being a spring chicken by any stretch, but having that experience um, abroad. And I think that's kind of been the model that Atalanta have followed um, with their transfer policy, right? You know, for all the players that they do sell, Kessie, Conti, Caldara, uh, just to name a few, Cagliardini for Inter, of course, they've always looked outside of Italy. Yes, they've done a great job you know, grooming their own players domestically um, with the great academy. They have one of the best academies in Italy and, and Europe for that matter, um, because it seems as though they have some sort of pipeline that they just kind of, re they, con they just co continue to replenish one after the other as one leaves, another one comes in. And Kulisevsky, mm -hmm. as I mentioned off the top, is another one who's on loan from Parma, but is owned by Atalanta, and he's been a revelation for them this year. But I've always been fascinating with how Atalanta have looked abroad to fill and round out their roster. I mean, you look at some of the players that they have on their current side now, um, you know, from the Belgian leagues, the Dutch league, it's 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 really fascinating to kind of show how uh, vast their scouting network is to assemble the squads, and they never skip a beat. They're always right in the thick of things year in and year out. Um, despite losing one or two stars, which seems like every year. So I just wanted to add that in. I think you did a fantastic job of uh, giving everyone kind of a more or less uh, a scope or insight on what you know Malinowski is as a player, who he is, because I think it's between all the names of Papu and Ilicic and Duvan Zapata and Luis Muriel and you know so on and so forth, some players like Malinowski could get lost in the shuffle, but he's really coming to form and he's been uh, a really key player for them. So uh, well done, Rocco, well done. 
Thank you very much. I think I think a lot of these Atalanta players are. I mean, not only and you 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 talked about a certain strategy in terms of replenishing some of the players that they lose to the internal market, uh, internal domestic market. Um, but you know, I, I find that they also tend to they have a type, <laughs> if you will, if using quote quotation marks here, and they all seem to be. You know, I, I think the word is asomorph. So they're like tall, you know, over six feet tall, broad-shouldered, you know, built, you know, skinny, but you know, like like broad-shouldered. You know what I mean? And they can you know, they'll run right. forever. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, and they like like that. Sometimes I'm watching TV, and you know, if I if I don't have my glasses on or something, I'm like, was that Troiler or Hatibor or Gosens or you know, and they're you know, Malinovsky or they 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 all look com- like the same. And, and you know Ilicic and, and I mean you know Zapata obviously you know has he has you know his hair is different and the color of his skin obviously but still same build right and then there's Papu Gomez <laughs> right, completely, <laughs> completely mixing it up completely made, which is fine which is perfect right because he kind of you know and, and he has his own certain skill set that he brings that's great but you can tell like it's almost it's almost uh, and this is something that predates uh, Gasperini's time it seems to me like they've always they keep they keep that kind of um, they they have an idea of, of gameplay or something and they've been able to they're like the way their code is you know that kind of player fulfills our kind of needs so um, and you know this formula has been a winning formula for them they've been they are the um, among among non uh, you know storied super storied sides and said yeah they are the team that has been in Serie B the least, um, so they're they're definitely the, the queen of the of the middle pack, uh, and uh, and you know the you know hats off to them. Of course, we're seeing them in a cha- in the Champions League this season. Uh, there'll be a last kissing goodbye to it very shortly. It is my hope and my dream that they they're able to pull uh, a few miracles in the in the last two games, and and, and you know they're able they would be able to make it through to the Europa League. Even though I see that as being very unlikely, uh, but yeah, it's it's a, what a what a great great uh, side, and you know I, I I wouldn't have been surprised had had we uh, dropped uh, not not two but all three points in uh, in Bergamo this weekend, and I think we were lucky to escape on we Juventus were <laughs> lucky to escape on skate. Yeah. I mean, Atalanta is just a machine. It doesn't matter who they plug in. It just seems that they're able to replace whoever. But, Rocco, I want to thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. I'm, I'm glad we had uh, the time to meet, especially when I'm on one of the episodes. So uh, thank you so much. I, I can't even thank you enough. Where can everybody find you and your work? Well, uh, you know, I, I started uh, in 2013. I started my little blog that could, which, uh, which is uh, basically takes my Twitter handle, which is Catenacho Na, uh, as in not applicable, uh, and it's Blogspot. And you know, I put all of my all the work that I do for the various uh, uh, the various outlets. Um, I put it. I've tried to park it there. At least the most salient pieces that I've written. Of course, I've written over 500 pieces for Italian Football Daily. I've more recently moved over to uh, Breaking the Lines with a few uh, pieces. I've been, um, that's where I store a lot of my um, my reports, game reports from Toronto FC uh, matches. I've been to most, to, to the most TFC matches this year out, out of out of all of uh, the previous uh, years. 
Um, you know, I've covered a couple of MLS final uh, games there as well. I'm proud to do that. I'm proud to have done that. I've, I'm proud to have um, covered a Juventus game in Turin uh, a few, uh, four, four or five seasons ago now. And, um, you know, in the meantime, on, on top of all that and on top of my real job and volunteering, I was, I've, been, I've, I'm, I've recently started this, my only, the, the last thing I'm going to say, and, and the only thing I really want to plug is um, the Bianconeri YYZ Juventus Official Fan Club, which I started with a few friends of mine recently. So if you guys, um, you know, if your listeners are uh, reside in Canada, we're more than welcome to welcome you under our uh, Juventus official fan club tent at uh, and you can find that at uh, Juventus YYZ that's our Twitter handle and our Instagram handle feel free to follow we'll be happy to to follow you back as well thank you very much to both of you and it's uh, a pleasure as always to chat with uh, with you Martino and with you Matt uh, your knowledge of uh, football and your ability and fluidity in, uh, in discussing the matter is uh, something I, I envy. So thank you again to all of you and for your listeners. Rocky, thank you so much, man. It's been a, it's been a blast. I was uh, glad we could get you on and range things. I know it's difficult uh, during our time zones, but uh, it's been a real joy. And I think the listeners are definitely going to really enjoy this, especially our couch yoga. So thank you again. All right. Uh, Matt, where can the people find you as well before we uh, head on out with the Joaquin music. <laughs> you guys can follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Santangelo. And uh, um, yeah, just one quick little plug. If you haven't purchased or haven't checked it out, um, you know, see if the, the, these footy times, they have any more of those AC Milan mags. Again, I'm delighted to be featured in that. I wrote a great little piece there. So um, it's a print magazine. It's very inexpensive. So if you're a, a Milan fan or you're just a Coucher fan in general, you want some good reading material on the glory days of Milan, uh, make sure you grab that copy. Of course, uh, I'm also going to be doing something um, very shortly with Scouted Football. They're releasing volume four of their quarterly magazine to end the, end the year. So I'll be featured in that as well. So make sure you guys grab a copy of that or a digital version if you're uh, into more uh, you know techie side of reading. So uh, yeah, that's pretty much what I'm working on and that's where you guys can find me. So uh, thanks a lot for the support. Yeah, and you could just find me at Martino Puccio on Twitter. Pretty standard stuff. It isn't just soccer, so I apologize if uh, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But thank you to Rocco, Matt, um, Pat. We'll be back next time. So here's Joaquin to take us out.